That was good. Well, hey, the, the week is slipping away, and but we're seeing a, we're having a lot of new people. Boy, it, uh, you've, the whole weekend group are coming in and joining us. We're very thankful for that. And I just, I just in amazement every time I walk over here and through the camp. What a beautiful, beautiful place for a a camp meeting. We're just, I just say so thankful to the, which is really the lay people that put this together and uh, hours and hours of work and uh, what a blessing to all of us to experience that. So uh, <clears throat> today I uh, have a handout. Um, if you can, maybe, if there's two of you, just take one, and, and if you can share that, uh, we're going to dive in and uh, try to tie everything we've talked about together here, healing physically and emotionally. I'll just give a little capsule for those of you who may be here for the first time, so you don't feel totally lost where we're going. But it has been just uh, really fun getting acquainted with... Uh, I think I have another. Uh... Yep. Hey, yes, sir. That's sir. This is. Uh, um... See if I get this thing off here. Bonding, falling in love, absolutely. Uh, when we're talking. Bonding is really, when we've been talking about like our first day, the healing power of intimacy, uh, and then we're talking about forgiveness, how to clean out our hearts so we can, we can uh, love and attach deeply. Bonding is that ability to stay in that spot, to stay connected and attached. And... Uh, yeah, and I, I hope it makes sense to you, and, it, and it's, uh, we're taking a look at kind of uh, mixing kind of the scientific evidence with uh, this, hey, this, this thing is not going to turn off, is it? I feel so bad. I tried all over town so I could show the video clip that you're hearing. It's just, I'm going to have to turn this whole thing off. Uh, some of you, do you guys remember... Probably the most powerful, uh, maybe, remembrance on bonding, one of the first research projects out of Harvard, um, that uh, Dr. Harley. Um, I'm doing the wrong thing here. Here we go. My wife's is on top and mine's on the side to get it to turn off. There we go. Um, remember when he... Uh, he wanted to study, and on the introduction, I'm, I'm not getting to shut up, am I? Okay. And uh, I think I have it on her iPhone. You know, it's really so cool now. You can look up anything. If you have a scripture text, you can't remember where it is. I just Google it. You don't even have to have a special thing to pop it up right there. And that's where this video is that I wanted you so much to see the little monkeys, the poor little guy. Now, we can't do this anymore in experiments, but this is 1950, Dr. Harley at, uh, at Harvard. And he says, I think I can study love in a test tube, and we can, we can actually show how this stuff works. 
Because love is always this stuff we sing about, that we talk about. What I've been telling you about this week and with Dr. Ornish and some of the others, that, hey, we have a scientific basis. If you have love in your life, you're going to live three to 500% longer and resistance to almost all diseases. I want to remind you why that works because we've been covering so many things. But let me tell you about the little monkey because we're going to hear about him later. So Dr. Harley dreamt up this experiment like a good researcher would. And he had a real mother with a little um, little monkey. And then he says, well, let's do a cloth mother with a nipple so they get fed. And then we have a wire monkey with a nipple so you get fed. Let's find out what happens. So that's what his experiment was. Absolutely, uh, you know, kind of shook up kind of the whole psychological world when we realized uh, how... How important bonding and attachment is. You, if if you got to watch the video and you can look it up on, you can you can Google Harley's Harlow's ex, uh, monkey or experiment. It'll come up, it, and you can actually watch this video yourself. And I'll have it up here. That you, if you want to come up after a group of you, we can sit and actually watch it. But what they found out, you put the little monkey in the cage, and he has a chance to choose between. And we say, well, food, we always thought food was the most important thing. So when he had the wire monkey uh, mother, you had the wire mother, and you had the cloth mother. And when you put the monkey in, immediately he ran. He actually ran to the wire mother for the little nipple and started eating. He stayed there for a little bit. Then immediately, where do you think he went? To the cloth mother. He stayed there for 12 hours. And he, they found out that the, the, the touch, remember we talked how important touch is to bonding? The touch and attachment was absolutely essential. <clears throat> and uh, they did some other experiments with him. And uh, what we found out, they had one They says, well, let's just wonder if they don't attach to anything, they get fed, what would happen? They let him into a room with a normal monkey would run around and play. He would just curl up and isolate and hide. That goes back to the experiment we had in 1945. Remember the orphanages? Uh, Ann Freud actually recorded this for us. They fed the babies. They didn't have enough staff, so they fed them. They changed them, but they weren't able to hold them very much. What happened to them? Huge increase in the death rate. So we're beginning to learn how important love and attachment is to our survival. I'm going to cover some of that with you. Uh, today. Uh, let me just ask you, we ran through healing of forgiveness. Some of you didn't get the handout, and there's a couple more. Um, I ran through it really quickly at the end. Let me keep one. And I gave you the outline that I use uh, clinically in taking people through the extraction of uh, post-traumatic stress and embedded pain and hurt in their lives. And, and, folks, you know, this is an outline. It doesn't always have to happen exactly that way. But these are kind of the principles that um, I've used for years. I basically I got these from Dr. Stoop. I wanted to show you his book. I don't think I showed it to you. Um, hmm. Forgiving our parents forgiving ourselves 
And uh, as I remember, as I told you, I have been at this for 25 years in the mental health field as a therapist. And in my doctoral training in humanistic psychology, I have not run across anything that even comes close to the power of forgiveness for extracting uh, embedded trauma or pain. That's anything that has hurt you or anything that has traumatized you. Remember that gets embedded in your normal memory? If you have emotional trauma or loss or an event, how does the brain record that? It goes in your permanent memory in the present tense forever, unless you know how to process that out. And that's what we're looking at, at the, what the Lord gives us and what a huge amount of our secular world um, is, is using um, I'm looking for the um, my other little stack where I put it. Um, I set them down somewhere here when I came up. Um, that's your stack. Um, no, I don't think so. It's the ones I had with my Bible. I think they're still on my chair. They might be on my chair back there. If you want to do something interesting some evening with some friends or yourself, this is... Uh, it's not religious. This is a secular documentary, and it shows kind of how much interest there is in forgiveness in our world. Uh, this was the number one film at uh, the Sun Valley uh, Film Festival. It's called The Power of Forgiveness. Uh, absolutely shocking. They, they take some of the top uh, professionals and significant people from all different religions and when I was teaching Healing and Forgiveness last year for Take 10 uh, for their programs, I would always show a, a part of this video. Uh, it goes through the major traumas that we have, some examples of what we have. One is 9-11. We're still trying to figure out what to do with that, with the anger and the hurt and what's happened nationally. It takes you through Ireland and um, um, Scotland the, with, in, in Ireland that huge conflict we've had. I remember I did my, I worked one summer in evangelism in Scotland. I couldn't believe the, bus, you know, the green and the orange and the separation. And the man I was going to refer to is from the University of Minnesota. He's a Christian psychologist. He's famous. He's one of the top researchers in, in forgiveness. It shows a whole section in this video of him and his wife going into Ireland. They've basically given up on the adults. Because there's so much hatred between the Catholics and Protestants. It's so embedded, they don't think it's ever going to uh, change. So where they're going in, him and his wife, and it shows the whole thing in the film, what they're doing is going into the schools, have these very separated schools, separated sections of town, into the schools and trying to teach the little kids to forgive. Because then they grew up in an environment of the parents modeling the hatred and the resentment of uh, 
between the two groups in their country, uh, they just model that. And they have some really, really cute techniques. Um, his wife, who's also a psychologist, she has the little kids put on forgiveness glasses. And, they give, and it shows little cases where they have hurt someone. Instead of just being angry and what they're used to seeing, they put on the forgiveness glasses. But, uh, and we're be, beginning to realize um, that there really is no other method one of the things that just stands out, it's a cover picture on here. In the Amish community, this story, among all the other stories, it's the only one that really has a powerful solution. Remember the Amish? Uh, there was a gentleman, that, a young man that killed about five or six of their girls. Remember that? It is just unbelievable what, how the response of that community Immediately, the elders went over to the house of the parents of that man who killed, that young man who killed their girls, and says, we forgive you. We don't hold it against you. And it describes what happens in the, in the deep faith system of the Amish, Christian faith system, the Amish people. Forgiveness was embedded in their culture. That that he says, well, that's just what we do. That's that's what we do. That's who we are. We forgive. And I thought, well, you know, I told you, like I'm German Russian, and we grew up in uh, some uh, in uh, in North Dakota where we had kind of communities, and and they were pretty tight knit farm communities. You know, family. That says the Amish community probably would have never survived living as close together as long as they have unless they really learned how to practice forgiveness, <laughs> because people hurt each other and do things against each other. But they have embedded that. It's just a powerful example of what happens. Um, I would just—you could probably just. Uh, this is put out by. Uh, whew, uh, I'm going to leave it up here, and you can just kind of write down, take a look at where that is. But it would be something really neat to show for community or for event. Oh, um, and I've used it many. It really opens that up, and it can be used very much in a secular setting because it opens up. When our patients come into the hospital, most of them are not coming in because it's a religious hospital or religious program. They're coming in for smoking sensation. They're coming in for changing their diet and lifestyle. So this is very valuable to open up what Dr. Peters and Dr. Cheryl wanted to do to open up and say, you know, because what happens, a lot of member, uh, when we have addictions and we have major issues in our life, how are we going to have our, our lives and our hearts and our minds cleared out enough to really make the changes that we, if I am really angry and deeply hurt, I'm not able to make those powerful changes that I need to make. I want to share something with you just in, uh, but I'll leave it here. You can come up and copy copy that off. I know I ordered it. Um, I borrowed it from my cousin, uh, Dr. Widmer. He uses it in some of his classes at the college also. Um, just a reminder, some of you that are new with us, one of our main points, we're looking at physical healing. Does spirituality... And what are some of the main factors that make a difference in our healing? And as I showed you out of Dr. Dean Ornish's book, he's probably the world authority in and, and wellness. Remember, he was the one that 
If you reduce your diet to 10% fat, you could reverse heart disease. Con- considered one of the top 50 people in our century. Uh, wonderful contribution he's made. Remember, his love and survival, the scientific basis for the healing power of intimacy. I want to just remind you before we jump into bonding and, a- bonding and attachment, which is really kind of pulling all this stuff together and say, how does that stuff really work? How do we stay attached to God on that deep level? So we cannot be shaken or moved. And, and it, it transfers over very, very well spiritually. But I wanted to, because I believe that when God heals, and when he heals by giving us himself and his presence, we have principles that help with that. But the ultimate healer, as we're even seeing in science, is himself. And when Jesus said, when he comes in, he centers us physically, emotionally, spiritually. And if we could look at the details of the story like we looked at the paralytic, it didn't make any difference if he started saying, well, hey, you're healed in relationship, or you're healed physically, or your sins are forgiven. <laughs> Jesus, I believe, healed simultaneously on all those levels. As I think often as we as healers... I'm fixing an emotional thing and the physical thing. Maybe the diet and the lifestyle is so far out of whack that people can't think right or focus. Or the relationship is causing so much stress, it's messing up the physical and the spiritual. it's, It's so difficult. I've always dreamed of a clinic where we could treat people holistically, simultaneously. I spent my uh, last two years at Clear Lake, um... David Sano is the president of our hospital. We were good friends way back, and he was looking at the clinic that, that we had that we see 6,000 patients a month. This is a huge rural health clinic, all Medicare, Medi-Cal. And he says, we've got to do something different with chronic pain. Because, you know, these are great doctors, good, good guys, but they didn't have any other options. If you have chronic pain, deteriorating deaths, you have, or you just, and if you guys have had experienced chronic pain, it is just debilitating. <clears throat> and um, so uh, David said, we've got to do something different. We set up a live well, uh, live well program, and we have, it looks like a, it's a movement therapy center. We have physical therapists. We have massage therapists. We have exercise physiologists. We have a whole approach. And then we have a whole section, uh, and I worked kind of out of both sections, but it looked like visiting rooms. There would be two leather chairs and our health coaches and our social workers or psychologists. So we're taking a look at that whole person to see if it affects chronic pain. I have a copy. I, I didn't rent it off for you, but Loma Linda just did a study, and they found out uh, 8 out of 12 people, if you involve spirituality, it reduced their chronic pain significantly. One of my patients, the neatest little guy, he had been... The, the surgeons, he got t- it totally something really got messed up in his nerve system, just terrible chronic pain. He moved up to the Clearwick area. He's the one that did all the frozen slides for University of San Francisco Medical Center. A very neat guy, bright guy, Christian guy. And I, and I says, Mike, what do you do? Does your spirituality help you when you have those episodes of chronic pain? He says, oh, Doug, you have no idea. He says, I go to this deep place with God, and that's the only thing. That makes a difference. You know, that isn't so far-fetched. Some of you folks uh, are a little older, but you remember the Lamaze method in childbirth? 
What did you do? I remember uh, when we went through that, Cheryl, we, we had a picture on the wall, and you're supposed to focus. Well, when you focus on the love and the grace and the presence of Jesus, does it make a difference in how you're feeling the pain? And we do that in our lives, too, and things are overwhelming. We come, come deeply into his presence. Let me give you the scientific evidence of someone I think you might trust. Um, as a physician and a psychiatrist, I'm, I can't attend to the vast medical and psychological consequences that take place when we don't get our house in order. And that was what forgiveness is the most powerful tool I know to get your house in order. Is any of those events or memories that are stuck there, that's what keeps me in business as a therapist. If there was not um, that, that suppressed and stuck memory stuff, because you know how we see it? How do you think we see that? If you've been abused or hurt or fired from your job or you're, you just are or you're abandoned by your, your, your loved ones, how is that going to show up physically? What? Okay, but what do we call it? What are some names? If you go in, the doctor would say you are, you are depressed. <laughs> well, uh, you know what causes depression? Too much anxiety, too long. It burns out. It's very, very scientific. It burns out your serotonin. And that's your happy drug. You don't have any happy drug. That's why we give you antidepressants, because they're called uh, neurotransmitter inhibitors, trying to block the signal and the axons to keep more of it in the pituitary gland so you can feel better. So uh, that's, that's one thing. What's another thing you might do if you have hurt and pain you don't know what to do with? And you, no one's ever told you how to, that Jesus will take it and put it as far as the east is from the west, and he will, he will cleanse you so you will feel it no more. That's his promise we went through yesterday. That's what I use for the nastiest embedded stuff. And he is faithful. And uh, I would love to hear a couple testimonies. I had a lady who was going to share her testimony about that today, what God has done. In the, and she says, God healed you. Oh, you don't know. He can be your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your lover, your husband. He says, I will supply all your needs. Do you believe that? Remember the first time I ran into that, I was in my last year of my doctor program, and one of the a singles group asked me to... Uh, come speak at, uh, to them at the camp in Idaho, the youth camp. Well, hey, I'm this young doctoral student. I got all my wonderful information. I'm going to, you know, be really useful to the single group. I was 10 minutes into my first presentation. Some lady raised her hand said, well, Mr. Ammon, that's really nice, but no one's touched me in two years. Well, that was the end of my wonderful lectures. Uh, as a therapist, I know what is much more Virtually no healing happens in lectures. You transfer some information, and only 17% of what, what you hear or read will stick. If it goes into your emotional memory, it's going to be there forever in what you experience. And uh, so I broke, we, we broke up and did group the rest of the week. I started out taking them through some Quaker exercises where we, where we trace... Uh, our security and how we build our security and where the, how that how that fits in spiritually, and we had a great weekend. But uh, that was really a shock to me that and to say, "Wow, you know," because touch is a primary way we bond. And you're going to see today if you don't get touched 
And if our infants don't get touched, if that little monkey doesn't get touched, you know what? Um, I'm going to play you that story, but I, I got what I thought about. It, I got to tell you because I, I didn't tell you. Now the the cloth, the baby that was raised with the cloth mother grew up, looked normal, but she had no. When she became an adult, she had no clue how to raise her infant. Can you imagine how many thousands of generations the family line of that little monkey knew how to raise their infants, or she would not exist. Imagine how powerful bonding and attachment is that in one generation. I was doing my, my, my literature review and my, my dissertation. Uh, uh, I was living in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Cheryl was teaching school, and I was running a clinic for, for the same guys that wrote. Um, uh, it was a new life clinic for Minneth Meyer. That the one that David writes for, and the ones that we're going to use today on on um, changes that heal. And I remember I was reading this stuff, and you know what you do in a literature review? Anything in the last five years that's been written on your subject, you look up. They want you to have a definitive <clears throat> basis for what you're going to do research for. I jumped in the car to run down to the store. I just read some articles about some of the other countries where they would carry their infants on their chest or on their back all day long. And a lot of the more primitive cultures do that. Do you think they had any problem with their adolescent kids when you come to that huge transition between childhood and adult? There was absolutely not even anything. They didn't know anything about adolescent rebellion or, or, or conflict or, or trauma. They were so deeply bonded and of course, those, in a lot of those cultures, you had aunts and uncles and grandparents. You had this huge support system. But unbelievable, you know. But you know, you know what I saw in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho? And I had one of them, too. You had one of these SUVs. And uh, actually, one of my teachers was responsible for getting car seats. You know, praise God. He, he, he's, he's probably his greatest thing. He's, he was my eighth-grade teacher. He worked for the government most of the rest of his life, and he got the car seats in to protect the lives of infants. But I see these young mothers, because we have largely young couples in Coeur d'Alene. They were attracted to that area. It's kind of a, a beautiful area, but a tough area to live. And uh, you, have the, you have the SUVs. Where do you think the kid is? He's two seats back in the car seat. Any of you remember how tough it is to get the kid until you finally get him conditioned to sit alone without touch or contact? I said, oh, my sakes, what is happening to the culture? Then my, one of my other areas were at-risk adolescent kids, and one of these kids are flipping out. And in these other cultures, they don't have any problem at all <laughs> because these kids are riding around these car seats. They're not getting touched. They're not getting held enough. And you will see a doc, a Dr. Cloud will share with us today and what Jesus teaches us. This doesn't just happen. We'll hug your kid for two minutes a day, and that's enough, and he'll be fine. Jeez, this takes thousands and thousands of contacts, even at that first year, to get them to, to do what we call object constancy so they don't panic when the mother leaves. But, you know, what an amazing thing. I want to share the rest of this for you. Uh, this is Dr. Paul Meyer. Uh, as a physician and psychiatrist, he says, Dr. C. Everett Koop. Any guys remember that name? 
Who was he? Surgeon General, Dr. Whitney. We respect that man. Our former U.S. Surgeon General has told me personally that about 80% of all medical illness seen in a doctor's office are either caused by emotional, what do you think he's going to say, stress, or will significantly be worsened by the stressors. Then he goes on to describe it. Ongoing, unresolved family issues along with other stressors, that's any emotional trauma or, or dissidence that you have in your life, whether it's financial or whatever it is, um, significantly will significantly worsen by the stressors. Ongoing, unresolved family issues, along with other stressors, cause ACTHRF, adrenocortotrophic hormone release factors. And that simply means to be released from the hypothalamus, causing ACTH to be released from the pituitary gland. Now, those are nice fancy words that uh, physicians, you know, they know these things. But what is it really releasing? Doctor, what's that releasing? What, with the, from the, what, what's it releasing into the bloodstream when we have stress? It's, we're, it's releasing what? Cortisol and adrenaline. What is, what is adrenaline? God designed it only for fight or flight. Now, we have a culture that is addicted. One of the things I deal with, with my, often with my students, they get, I have kids that are addicted to adrenaline. Well, cocaine does the same thing. Uh, certain other kinds of addictions do the same thing. Our bodies were never meant to be revved up for a long period of time. It burns out cells. It burns out the, the hormonal systems. And so this is what he's saying. The physicians, uh, the physical, emotional, and spiritual aspects of a human being are intrinsically entwined. This causes stress hormones to flow out of the adrenal glands, causing decreased lymphocytes, white blood cells, decreased antibodies, and increased vulnerability to all kinds of infectious diseases, including uh, viral-induced cancers. Folks, this is why Dr. You know, he was, he was a cardio uh, man from Stanford, and we look at love and survival. When he found out love, what is the greatest antidote? Remember, stress and fear are synonymous. I usually try to teach my patients, when you think of, when you think of stress, well, I'm so stressed out, I'm not going to pass this test. I'm so stressed out because think, I, it's fear. What does the scripture tell us? Cast out all fear. Perfect love. What we've been talking about, we're probably never going to experience perfect love completely all the time on this planet. But what I've been talking about all week, let's find every avenue and clean out our hearts so we can get as much of this stuff inside us as possible so we can resist three to 500% of the disease. So we can <clears throat> um, connect with other people so we can do what we need to do for our children for those around us because love is the most healing agent we know and this is what he's just he's just telling us and he uh, it goes on to say taking in the effort to analyze and understand the dynamics of your families and origins will help us to take control of our lives and to move in new and healthier directions unresolved forgiveness you see all this stuff is all tied together unresolved this is uh this is the psychiatrist telling us and the physician. 
Unresolved forgiveness is part of the equation our analysts and understand will leave us still caught in the dysfunction. And it is the cause of... Um, but we often forget that they, may, they can also be the indirect cause of bronchitis, pneumonia, strokes, cardiovascular disease, that's all heart disease, mental illness, and death. Does God heal? Why have we been talking about that God heals? What is the deepest love that you have ever, ever experienced? When we talk about the gospel, we talk about unconditional love and acceptance. Um, Remember Dr. Carl Rogers that came out of a Christian family, famous psychologist. If he just showed his patients or paying him money, if he showed them unconditional regard, he called it, it was love. With minimal conditions of worth, they didn't have to be nice. He still was nice to them. 90% of them got well. Love is the most healing factor. Folks, one thing, I, one thing that's reawakened in my heart, uh, we're going to start, um, our plan is um, October, start a Sabbath clinic uh, out of the um, Vineyard Ministry, which is a hospital ministry, and our Haven Church. And do a full-day clinic where people can come in and experience the spiritual concepts of physical, emotional, and relational healing simultaneously. That's my dream. I'm retired. I get to do that. <laughs> I don't have to just stay in one niche. <laughs> and we have phenomenal resources that will join us. where we can hit that in seven, eight hours, you're going to experience a powerful, powerful change in your life and healing. So often we just come and talk about it, but we don't have a chance to take you clinically and walk you through it. That's what we're going to do. It's only, it's only about a three-hour drive for most of you. It's at St. Lena Hospital. It's right next to that where we're going to do that. And one of the reasons that's really driven us, we have a, a powerful uh, program that's been there that I worked for last year for Take 10 with Dr. Peters and Lifestyle Change and Smoking Sensation. We don't have any aftercare. And all these people, we had two people uh, the last two weeks sneak out of the alcohol recovery program. They says, our director, our director P- Dr. Peters, has right on the agenda, if you, you want to go to church instead of go to this uh, 11 o'clock seminar on Saturday, here you can do this. <laughs> well, they haven't quite got that way in the alcohol program. We're not tied in with that. So they snuck out. He's sitting up there in his cutoffs, and, and, you know, next to the front row, and, and he met with Judy in the prayer room, and he says, you know, this is great what they're trying to help me with, but I need Jesus. He's a Christian, and no one was showing him how to integrate spirituality into his healing, that they were doing it. And, like, they, you know, the only way they could probably do it is because they had people that believe and people that didn't. But what we're looking at, if they, have, if they want to try Christianity, and, and spiritual techniques for emotional healing and physical healing for changing their lives, but they're desperate to change. If you go into a hospital and you're paying the kind of five to $8,000 <clears> for 10 days to change, you're desperate. You need help. And uh, they're going to use those, those resources, whatever resources. And it's been so privileged. We baptized several of these young people from the addiction program that it, one of them rides down from clear, like I told you yesterday, on the bus, sits in the front row, unbelievable to see. To me, that's aftercare. 
Uh, Dr. Cheryl Peters would stand up at the end of the 10 days. Very spiritual people, if you, if you know either, um, either, either of the Peterses. And, and she says, you know what, folks? You guys have made phenomenal change because we do everything for you. You have to eat the food the chef makes. We take you, the, the health coaches take you on the exercise. You're hearing all the good lectures. She says, only 6% of you will stay with this change unless you have spirituality in your life. Can a man add one cubit to his height? Or can a leopard change his spots? Now, we can change ourselves if we're really stubborn, if we, you know, maybe have some real stubborn Swiss or German genes for a short period of time. But lasting change. Remember what? Values determine thoughts. Thoughts determine actions. If you don't change the belief system, if you don't have the power of Jesus flooding into that, you're in trouble. You're not going to change. One thing, one thing in my business, we do a lot of adjustment in mental health. We have cognitive restructuring. We have all kinds of things. We can change your thinking. We'll hopefully change your, your thoughts for a while. But when it comes to addiction, does any of those humanistic therapies work? I'll never forget Dr. Rokic, my major head of our department. He has uh, two doctors. He's from Harvard Medical School. He's a top man in, in, in our nation in hypnosis, not a Christian at all. But, but a great guy. I really love him. I remember we'd, we'd studied all the theories and we came to addictions. I remember him standing up and he says, and he just got red-faced and just got angry. He says, you know what? We have to go back and use this old antiquated method. And he was mad. And we're kind of sitting there, wow. We have to use this thing called, what do you think? Twelve steps. Who designed that? Some Christian guys designed that. What is the first step? I am powerless, and I need a power greater than myself outside of myself to heal myself. That is opposite of every other humanistic psychological theory. And, folks, that's why I am so concerned there's so few of us that are talking about spiritual, emotional, relational, and physical healing. And you can probably put them in one stack of books on one table. Because the whole world, if you don't believe in God, what are you going to do? You've got to figure out another method. And they do the best they can. They're wonderful. And do the best they can. But we know better. If you want real healing, and I just want to jump up and shout and say, praise God. That finally, uh, there was uh, uh, the scientific evidence that you cannot heal the tough stuff without Jesus. The addictions are the tough stuff. Addictions are simply a substitute for real intimacy. If you have church members or families members or kids that are caught in addiction, please be patient with them. All they need, what they're crying out for, they had a lack of bonding and attachment, and they're crying out for connection and crying out for love, and they were... They tried something to fill that with, with drugs or alcohol or sexuality. They simply are trying to fix their brokenness. And we have a solution. Twelve steps. That's a, a neat program and step how they're doing that. I imagine you have some twelve steps being run in your churches. I wanted to read one other, and then I'm going to introduce you to uh, the resource uh, for bonding and attachment. Um, 
I read you the summation. I wanted to read you the Harvard Masteries of Stress Study. Okay, if a doctor, a doctor Coop says that 80% of all physical illness is caused or made worse by stress. And what was he describing in those big words? Stress breaks down what kind of system. Some of you here have, are experiencing that. When you lived under too much stress or you have too much embedded pain, there's a system that breaks down, and when that breaks down, everything else fails. Your immune system, the white blood cells, the things that... Do we all have cancer cells in our body? Oh, yeah. But these wonderful little white blood cells, if our, if our diets and our genes are, act, are being activated, one of the things we're finding out now is so fun to listen to Dr. Peter's lecture. We just found out in the last, you know... the We've been doing some research. We're taking it seriously. Certain things we eat turn on the genes that fight cancer and turn off the ones that feed it. I mean, that is wild to get to the gene level where, you know, that's every cellular level, that's as basic as, basic as you can get. Listen to this, folks, and see if it makes any correlate to Scripture. Remember, this is Dr. Dean Ornish. Uh, Love and survival, the scientific basis for the healing power of intimacy or love, or attachment, whatever you want to call it. It says, in the, uh, the first students, it says that the Harvard uh, st- study by Dr. Stanley King and Harry Ruskett, uh, in the early 50s, 126 healthy men were randomly chosen from the Harvard class of 52 to 54 and given questionnaires to measure how they felt about their parents. Now, this is a while ago, but when you do a study, the best studies are these longevity studies. Because if I just study you for five minutes, and then I try to say that's who you are, well, <laughs> no, no, that's how you're feeling those five minutes. But if I study you over 25 years, I'm not going to make many mistakes. Because we have the average, and we have the bell curve, we know that's pretty much who you are. Um, in the first test, students were asked, would you describe your relationship to your mother and to your father? Check one. Here's the powerful questionnaire. Is that relationship to your mother and to your father very close, warm and friendly, tolerant, or strained and cold? The choices were coded from four, just a Likert scale. And 35 years later, this is one of these powerful, powerful longevity studies. Medical records were obtained on these partic- uh, participants and detailed medical and psychological histories were conducted. What they found was quite amazing. 91% who did not perceive themselves to have a warm relationship with their mother 35 years earlier had serious diagnosed diseases in midlife. Whoa, 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 whoa. Including coronary artery disease, high blood pressure, ulcers, alcoholism, addictions too as compared with only 45% of those who perceive themselves to have a warm relationship with their mother. Similar, 81% of participants who had low warmth and closeness scores with their fathers had diagnosed disease in midlife compared to only 50% of those who had warm and close scores. If you combine mother and father, think of our backgrounds and how close we were, and then I'm going to introduce you to attachment. If you do not have that mother, remember what we talked yesterday? If your right frontal lobe was not developed because you did not get enough hugging, did not get enough close cuddling, did not get enough facial play, 
you actually, Dr. Shores out of UCLA says your brain, you have brain damage. <laughs> and it needs to be stimulated and you need new pathways. And one of the greatest ways to do that is experience the love and presence of Jesus Christ. And I believe spiritual intimacy is deeper than family, friend, or sexual intimacy. I said, I can't go by, by you and find you a, a person in serious catalog that's going to fill your broken knees, but I know someone who will love you unconditionally, never forsake you, never put you down, never abandon you, and he will pour himself and his presence in you if you will let him, and you will be healed. Scientifically healed. If you combine mother and father, all 100% of the participants who rated both their mothers and fathers low in warmth and closeness 35 years earlier had diagnosed diseases in midlife by 47. Is love a healer? Is attachment a healer? Does that remind you of a Bible text? Honor. One of the ten absolutes. Ten Commandments. Honor. Doesn't say you always obey if they're wrong. But you honor, you respect, you have bonded relationship with. Honor your father and your mother. The days, your what? Days may be what? Long. Dr. Orney says three to five hundred percent. If you would only live one year, you're supposed to live one year extra. If you had love, you would live three... Three to five hundred percent, you live three to five years longer. That is incredible because you have love in your life. Let me introduce you. I think there's only ten of these books left. Um, um, can I take five minutes or so? I don't know when. Are we okay? Um, this is the best book I know on uh, bonding attachment on boundaries. Um, Henry Cloud, he was my supervisor when I first started, I ran my first uh, Menneth Meyer Clinic, New Life Clinic in Spokane, Washington. Remember our hospital was in Seattle. They'd fly up from Redondo Beach uh, to, to meet with us and coach us. These guys uh, are, are some of the most outstanding Christian psychologists. You'll find Bible texts backing up everything that's in this book, and it'll be on the bottom of the page. And you'll integrate spirituality totally. You just hardly ever find that in the mental health field. And uh, this is called Changes That Healed. Uh, the first major chapter is what is bonding? Let's, I'm going to go through your sheet real quick with you. And if you're interested in this, uh, please pick it up. He has a few of these left. If he doesn't have them, you can call 1-800-NEW-LIFE. You can probably buy one for 3 to 5 bucks. The second chapter called Bonding. They wrote about 10 books off of this book. This was one of the early books, and they, you know how book writers do. They say, oh, man, we can do a book off of that chapter. <laughs> and so they did. We have Bonding. The book Bonding was so popular for seven years when it came out. It was the best-selling Christian book next to the Bible. We, I mean, for, I mean for, it was called Boundaries. It was Boundaries, not the Bonding, the Boundaries. We are terrible at setting boundaries. We let people hurt us, abuse us. The Lord says, love everyone, but don't take everyone home and let them hurt you. Or it will destroy your heart. Above all else, you guys, we learned that, didn't you? 
Above all else, protect your heart. You can't be putting yourself out there in places where your heart is broken over and over again. I was visiting with a lady here. It was absolutely marvelous. She needs to teach the seminar. Well, how she was setting boundaries with her own kids when the hardest things to do. You know, I'm lousy at it yet. My daughter's living in my retirement home with all the furniture and everything. You know, I didn't set a good boundary. And I'm, I'm luckily I'm in a house, not in the RV. You know, uh, and, but she says, Daddy, the house is empty, isn't it? I'm moving to Walla Walla. Uh, well, we were going to come up in two weeks to spend the summer there. Well, we spent three weeks and said, well, I think she's ready for us to leave. <laughs> but it, it'll teach you how to do that. We, we, it, in, in, in love, you are, if you've done anything in addiction, the thing that keeps people in addictions and bad behavior is called enabling, <laughs> you know. They never grow up. Uh, our son finally got married and moved out of the upstairs apartment of our house, and we own the property together. And my daughter just used to give me attention. Dad, he's 35 years old, and he's still living at home. What is this? You know. He says, you need to watch the movie Failure to Launch. <laughs> so, so we finally got the movie and watched it. You want something entertaining if you guys have adult kids. And, you know, financially right now, He's a movie editor. I have all these artistic kids. One's a fashion designer. One's a movie editor. One other one's a chef. They never have stable jobs. <laughs> so they go out and work. Then they're out of their job. Well, what happens to many of us in this economy crash? The kids, what? Showed back up. They came back home, didn't they? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Um, let's look at bonding. And I think you'll see, this is what I look as kind of the correlation of tying all the stuff we're looking at together. Remember, if you, you will die a slow death or a fairly fast death if you do not have love in your life. And that's what we've been studying. Um, on, our, on our sheet, on the first thing of our sheet, can I use yours for a minute here? I think I gave away all mine here. Bonding is the ability, this is Dr. Cloud that wrote this book. Uh, bonding is the ability to establish an emotional attachment to another person. It is the ability to relate to another on the deepest level. When two people have a bond with each other, they share their deepest thoughts, dreams, and feelings with each other with no fear that they will re be rejected by the other person. Totally safe. Dr. Brennan Manning, one of my favorite authors that taught me huge amounts about how to do intimacy, he says, sink down out of your head, into your heart, and feel. And you get to the place where just being together is enough. Just being in his presence. What happens if you fail to bond? Turn the page. So let me introduce that to you. You can look at it later. People who can't make emotional attachments, what happened to them? They live in a state of perpetual what? Hunger. They're like they're starving to death. And they'll try to grab at anything that might feel, feel like love and fill that need. I worked, spent my last 10 years working with the college kids at PUC, directing the counseling center. I know what they look like when they're hungry. And then they grab stuff that doesn't work or doesn't fit. And they get in trouble. And then it interferes with their studies. And it's my job to try to help them sort that out. They have a crying need that's not being met. This is not something they make up. This is a need. 
You have to have attachments or you will die, just like the babies. We just die slower and we become depressed. We become all kinds of weird things happen to us. And you see, you, you see some of the lists, the things that, that happen to us. And he describes here this, this really neat process in this next page. It says that uh, if everything goes right, where does this bonding happen that sets us up for a healthy relationship? How early is that? Can you just wait till they're seven years old to start working on that? And everything goes right. We begin to bond naturally as infants. When we're born, we move from a warm, wet, dark, smooth environment into a cold, dry, bright, harsh one. We move from our mother's womb where all our needs are automatically met to a world where we need to depend on fallible people to take care of us for those few moments after we slip slip from the birth canal into the light. We are shocked in emotional isolation. Well, what happens to most of these kids when they come out? They come out happy and smiling. They come out screaming, don't they? <laughs> okay. One look at the face of a newborn gives you a good picture of this total isolation. Then the mother takes the child and begins to hold him close and talk to him softly, and suddenly he goes through a transformation. He starts screaming, and his muscles... Uh, he stops screaming, his muscles relax, he turns toward his mother for warmth, for food, for love, emotional bonding, is his mother has begun. Where we learned about 35, 40 years ago, when that infant comes right out of that canal, where's immediately put? On the skin to skin. That is, touch is the most powerful bonding mechanism we know. That's put. Otherwise, they found out. That they weren't, and, and, and uh, if it's possible, some women can't, but if they can breastfeed that baby, they want you to breastfeed that baby because of the attachment factor. Um, over time, the child gradually internalizes the mother's care. He begins to store up memories of being comforted by her. In a sense, the child takes his mother in and stores her into his memory. Listen carefully to this human metaphor that all of you and I went through. Remember, 80% of your brain is developed those first, how long? Two years after you're born. If you did not get enough touch and cuddling, it did not release the dopamine that stimulated the right frontal lobe where it can feel tenderness and sensitivity and warmth. That is what I face constantly. Every client, basically, I see that has any relational or mental health issues, they have interrupted attachment. And I always go back and we talk about what happened those first couple years of life. That's where the mess began. If they don't attach deep enough, then they can't separate. They're scared. And they don't separate. And develop the codependencies and develop all this anxiety and fear. Now, how much of this stuff do you need? In a sense, a child takes his mother and stores her inside his memory. This internalization gives him a greater and greater sense of security. He has a stored house of loving memories on which to draw in his mother's absence. A soft, self-soothing system is being formed. He could not do this immediately because he did not have enough loving experience and uh, what a child does, if you watch a young child, we have a new grandson that's going to be born here in a month. You take a real young child, and the mother sets it down, the mother leaves, what does the baby do? It cries. It has no sense. He does not know the mother 
is coming back and is going to care for him. That's his whole source of security and food and everything. And what this is talking about, we call it object constancy, that they, the child has to have thousands and thousands and thousands of these constant, consistent contacts with, with, the, with the mother and develop this security. We know in, in, in the mental health and in, the, in behavioral studies, if just one in ten times you're inconsistent with your child, they will never attach. And it, you have to be so doggedly consistent for it to develop into, into where they develop what we call an absolute. They, they know that my mother loves me and she's going to be there for me. If that gets developed, then the mother, as the child gets a little bit older, the mother can step out of the room for a little bit. And maybe they'll be out for five minutes, and then you hear the screaming. <laughs> well, we're getting the mother embedded into the child. Dr. Henry Cloud, as he'll do in his book all the time, he'll just flip that over and says, you know, that's what happens to you and I spiritually. That's why you're hearing the minister in the evening. You're hearing Tim. You're hearing all of us say, whatever it takes, I want you to have it so embedded that his thoughts become your thoughts and his ways become your ways. And you take him shopping, you take him playing, you take him walking, that he becomes part of you. He is embedded in your object constancy. You are one with him. And Jesus prayed in his last and final prayer before he died. He says, Father, I pray that they may be one as you and I are one. They may be in us as we are in them. That you have this healed wholeness physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Folks, your church could be the most healing place in town. My dream is, and what we're going to set up here in October, and I've had this dream, and, and uh, David Santos and I, we had this whole dream we put together with this wellness thing that we would have this, uh, this uh, really a medical missionary model of a holistic approach to, to healing. We could set it up in every rural health clinic. My dream is that every church... We would have an aftercare center. Dr. Pauline heads up theology at Loma Linda, and, and from experience, he's been through a lot of pain. And he said he was at a conference where I was. I was doing some speaking. He was the lead speaker, and he says, Doug, your job is we have hospitals, we have churches, we need healing centers where we really do the aftercare, where we get to know people, love people, how many times do you have to contact someone before they come into the presence of God and trust Him? We learn anything from infants? It takes thousands of times. You can't just say, well, we heard the lecture, you heard the information, that's all. Is that how you bonded them to Jesus? You really can't take on very many people at a time if you want to lead them to Jesus. It takes a lot of time, a lot of play, a lot of fun, a lot of... I learned in Mexico, I used to take my, my high school kids to Mexico, the most powerful way I learned to attach them to God, to take them on mission trips. I learned from the Mexican pastors. We, Puerto Vallarta was one of our first places, no Adventist church. They assigned this young pastor there. We built the church. The time we got it built, the place is full. You never saw that pastor alone. He, if he was going to the market, if he's going down to the ocean, he's going anywhere. He had ten, five, ten people with him and said, hey, come along. They were his friends. He is doing what we call friendship evangelism. That's just what he did. It was part of their culture. It was part of who he was. 
Don't you love God? Isn't he good? Folks, take every opportunity. My final thing is don't be afraid of your heart. Protect your heart and then open your heart. Don't be afraid of your feelings. Don't be afraid of his love and tenderness. Don't be afraid of your tears. If, if tears show up, your eyes water up, you've just connected with your heart. I'm not talking about tears because you're hurt or angry. I'm talking about tears because it's so precious. It's so beautiful. That is where the Holy Spirit can just flood you and show up and heal you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, isn't he good? So good. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for giving us your mercy and giving us yourself. You didn't just give us a list of teachings. Christianity is not just about beliefs and systems. It's about knowing you and loving you with all our hearts and all our souls and all our minds. And, Lord, we just ask you to be in this camp meeting and in each person that is here and in each family member and each grandchild, anyone that's connected, that you might show up and reveal your love and kindness to them. In your name, amen. One thing in closing, I think there's only like 10 of these left. If it's useful, if you have children that are having any trouble in their relationship, that are having any trouble with their kids growing up, attachment guaranteed. And most of the time it is touch and emotional connectedness is why the kid is acting out, having trouble not accepting the spiritual values of, of their belief system of their parents. If they're having any trouble relationally, most of my private practice is couples therapy. And I, my, my friends back here, I told them I was going to use them and I've run out of time. But I was going to take them. They, they, they volunteered real nicely. I was going to take them through an attachment, what I do with my couples. And uh, they were, I know them well enough that uh, they'd be willing to do that and uh, to, to actually see how that looks. And uh, maybe we could do that if somebody wanted to stay by. But you've got to have lunch. But if you want to. If you want to stay by and you want us to do that, and if we can group around, and I'll show you how this stuff works clinically, and it doesn't fail. I have couples that haven't touched each other for six months. I had one the other day I'm working with right now. She's not even Christian. He's barely Christian. She had an affair. Finally got them both in my room, meeting with them separately, and one session, taking them through attachment. And last thing, I said, you know, um, would you be willing to maybe just uh, give her a hug? Because I, I got that far. I don't do that unless I know that it's safe. She says, yeah. I sat there, and I sat there, and I sat there. And I said, I don't know if these guys are going to ever let go of each other. <laughs> you know, that it was that simple, and I'm going to take you through that exercise. Hey, Lord bless you, and uh, God uh, be with you. And if you folks, if what we're talking about would be helpful in like a, a one-day workshop, I don't like to do seminars much, but I love to do workshops, and I'll bring my, my group with me. We'll come to your church. We'll do a Sabbath clinic for you too, okay? Bye-bye.